Yeah. Of all the characters you've played, which one has given you the most satisfaction? Um, it's difficult to say, that one. I mean, I, I don't really know. I suppose in one way that um, uh, I like playing um, the... Uh, The Indian in in the party, I and I enjoyed that uh, because it had. Uh, we decided to use a format like Jacques Tati, free format of improvisation. You know, just round a framework of an idea. That's Blake Edwards. That's just before he got caught up with Darling Lily, which incidentally was filmed partly in this house over the back there. You know. Mm -hmm. And so the end of that film is not quite right. I mean, it sort of falls away. But there are three quarters of it. They're very, very, very good. Mm. Enjoyed that. I, I like playing the old trade union chap way back in um, I'm All Right Jack. Mm. Uh, recently, there's a film coming out I'm, I made recently uh, called um, Where Does It Hurt? There's a, fe there's a fellow called Albert T. Hofnagel. Enjoyed playing him. He's an administrator in a hospital. Um, I don't know, I think I like most of them. And some I've really hated, you know, really absolutely hated. to Goompod. So it's that time of the year for the now traditional Goompod listeners top 20. A much loved and eagerly anticipated countdown which I'm sure will stymie many people's New Year's Eve party plans. Cancel that taxi. Apologise to your friends but there's a podcast to listen to and that's much more important. And this year we are counting down the listeners top 20 Peter Sellers films. And joining me to argue and bicker are three returning guests you might even call them fixtures, or fittings. Uh, Sean Gaffney, Mike Haskins, and Mark Cousins. Hello. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello, hello. Hi. Um, now, Mark is, by quite a stretch, uh, more of a, uh, an authority on Sellers and his work. Uh, the rest of us can simply own to being enthusiastic amateurs, I guess. Um, but we all we all will be sort of uh, chipping in and contributing to this countdown, hopefully, because um, I'll be counting down from number twenty to number one uh, of people's favourite Peter Sellers films as voted for this year by Goonpod listeners, and there was a a huge response, and I'm indebted to or, who's the guy from That's Life that used to always say I'm indebted to Mrs. Cunningham from Droitwich. Cyril Fletcher. Cyril Fletcher. Yeah. So I'm indebted. I am indebted to all who took the time to nominate their favourite Peter Sellers films. Um, so before we get cracking, I'd like to ask you all any sort of predictions as to what the top three may be? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I think it's a very difficult thing, isn't it? Because... Obviously, your favourite film is based on so many different inputs, not just the quality of the film or the person in it. 
Um, particularly, you know, if you've got a penchant for slapstick or black comedy or uh, character acting or straight acting. So it just depends where you think the land lies. Um, for me, you know, I obviously these things fluctuate on a regular basis, but I've always been a fan of Dr. Strangelove. Um, mm. uh, so I would put that high up mainly because it, it shows the breadth of tel Seller's talent, you know, as a straight actor, as the president. Um, and as a comedy character and with great invention as as Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> well, you yeah. see, Tyler, um, I think that in the past, I've seen this sort of thing happen before. And I think mm. there's a certain element of, um, you know, sometimes you lead the jury with episodes of your podcast. And so you feature films in the podcast and people listen to those and think, oh, that sounds good. And in fact, we may see some odd choices cropping up in this top 20. So Ghost in the Noonday Sun and Fiendish Plot of Fu Manchu are in the top 20. You'll have some questions <laughs> to answer for featuring them on the podcast. <laughs> Be on your conscience. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, ten, ten, no, I'll, I'll leave that to the end. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, well, as long as Magic Christian isn't in there either, we'll be, we'll be fine. Oh, okay. 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 No, um, but I would I would say pro I agree with what people have said in that I think it'll be um, episodes that may have, if not featured, at least been mentioned on Good Pod. I'd, I'd argue for uh, Strange Love, A Shot in the Dark, and either Two Way Stretch or I'm All Right, Jack. Did, did you include Seller's own vote for his favourite films? I didn't. Uh, do you mean, did I reach out to him in the afterlife? Yeah. <laughs> well, he said, <laughs> no. he's on record as saying his favourite films were, I believe, uh, I'm All Right, Jack, Doctor Strange Love, and Only Two Can Play. Obviously, he couldn't bring himself to say you know, one of the Pink Panthers, but uh, obviously that would be his choice of four. I'm a fan also of Never Let Go. I know that some people don't like it, um, but I just think it's it, it shows talent for, uh, for Sellers as a straight actor, which I think he could have really become uh, if he hadn't been so put yeah. off from it. Yeah. And Mark, before we started recording, you mentioned that you'd um, come up with a few interesting statistics yeah yeah it's just for fun really it's not proper statistics but amongst his films and i i counted 74 if you include kiss me stupid and all the short mm. and voiceovers and so on but he made eight shorts um he did eight voiceovers um he made seven films with spike milligan and um he also did four cameos you know in things like the wrong box and so on um so it's quite an interesting and diverse um range of films um but as i said i think you know the, the categories are quite interesting if you look at the categories of the films because they're not all comedies obviously and they're not you know some of them are knockabouts obviously um some of them have got great scripts i think lots of people i hope agree with me that quite often it's his performance that saves a film from being dire when quite a lot of them were because he wasn't very yep. choosing the roles i think absolutely yeah Okay, well, let's crack on. Um, so we'll start with, with number 20. Mike, you're going to be delighted because number 20 is The Magic Christian. I do not believe this, honestly. <laughs> People voted for this. What have you got uh, against The Magic Christian? Oh, Mark? come on, come on. Um, no, God God bless um, old Joe McGrath. Um, he's very good, but uh, but really, Peter Sellers has made some other better films it's no it's okay really it's all right but um it's late 60s and 
I think they could have done a bit more work on the script. They're all getting a bit sort of relaxed there at the end of the 60s. Uh, it's a great idea. It's a really good idea. But um, no, uh, Jem Roberts was on your podcast and he says yes. that this film is like one of Guy Grant's pranks. This was a very, <laughs> very clever thing that he said. He said, you end up very annoyed by watching it, but you're the one who's paid to sit through this. So who's the mug? So it's very clever, but absolute, complete nonsense. Nobody who worked on that film set out with that intention they wanted to make a film that people would think was funny and clever and it would make some money so um yeah now a few more drafts on the on the script i think uh, would have been a good idea well i i respectfully disagree i it's it's one of my top five peter sellers films no 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 you're very wrong you're very wrong um i know irene handel was not keen on it is that right mark yeah, I have to say, unfortunately, or fortunately, I side with Mike. It's not one of my favourites either. There are some excellent um, pieces in it, notably the one with Sellers and Milligan, where Milligan plays the yeah. parking uh, attendant. Um, but it does, I think it suffers, unfortunately, probably from uh, having a friend as the director. And uh, it's just been allowed to run on too long, I think, without a great deal of structure. Yeah. What about you, Sean? I agree that I it's more interesting than good. I liked Sellers switching voices as Guy Grand, where most of the time he's using a normal Sellers voice, but sometimes, particularly when he's talking to the working class people in the film, he switches to this upper class twit voice. Yeah. That's really strange. Righto, mate. Now, what do you want? Yeah, I got a car. They have a hot doggy, please, my good man. Oh. You'd like hot doggy, would you? Yeah. Right. Why not doggy you shall have Also, Blood Dog shows up. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's a great scene with John Cleese. Let's face it. Come on. Oh, yeah. Very good. Yes. He, um, he wanted him removed from the film, though, didn't he? He did. Yeah. yeah. Well, There's also a um, fun bit of trivia that I found, which is um, the, the woman who did the song that um, Yul Brynner sang yeah, yeah. is Miriam Carlin from yeah. uh, the, the rag trade and you know what her film debut was millionaires it was down among the z-men was she in down among the z-men yes she, she was. was a woman in shop oh and sellers uh, acted with her on um on radio before that yeah yeah let's see if down among the z-men comes up in this list shall oh we? my god found you found you on this program uh, but I think, I mean, I, I I am very fond of it because it is a is a film one of his one of the first Peter Sellers films I saw, and it's just it's always been dear to my heart. And I think that possibly it's it's featured in this list because it has re-entered the public's consciousness. Obviously, because of the the release of Get Back, and obviously the Beatles were planning a television special, but were working to a a deadline because Ringo needed to start filming. So I guess that may have helped its... Uh, yeah. It's... So Get Back is really the prequel to The Magic Christian, <laughs> what you're saying. Yes, maybe. Um, okay, so number 19. And speaking of Miriam Carlin, number 19, Heavens Above. Ah, this is what I used to love about Peter Stellar's films, because they would crop up on Granada on Sunday afternoon and it was a bit grey outside, and there'd be a lovely Peter Sellers film on like this. So I remember this being on a lot when I was young in the 70s. So, uh, no, I like this one very much. From an idea by Malcolm Muggeridge, who is mm. in it as a cleric. Um, he's also in uh, I'm All Right, Jack, isn't he? Was he friends with the Boltings? Was that what was going on? 
Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, and a really nice idea. And um, not that I've seen it in many, many years, but it just always seemed a very neat idea. Yeah. Uh, an interesting thing about Frank Harvey, who wrote the script, and also the um, the script for I'm All Right, Jack. Frank Harvey <laughs> was um, a pseudonym, which was used by both his grandfather and his father. They'd both written as Frank Harvey. So Frank Harvey's credits start in 1884 and can continue <laughs> wow. up to the 1980s. So there you are. That's my interesting no. fact about him. Blimey. Is it a favourite of yours, Mark? Yes, yes, it is, because I think um, it was the Boltings going through a sequence of films that they made, which were effectively satires, obviously, like I'm All Right, Jack, was a satire on on um, the unions and, and working and so on. Heavens Above was a satire on religion, really. Vicar, do you really feel that in these days of the welfare state that there's any need for this sort of charity? I do, definitely, yes, yes. But surely there are no really desperately poor people in the country anymore? Well, I don't think that's necessarily true, but in any case, I'm just as worried about the rich. About the rich? That's quite a new idea, isn't it? That's a very old one. You haven't been reading your Bible. <laughs> of course, this is only a start. I expect to see a lot more giving and far less getting around this place. Yes, at the moment it does seem to be rather the other way round, doesn't it? I dare say that's right, but uh, the example's there. It'll catch on. You see, after all, Christianity is example. It's give, give, give from the widow's might to life itself. What immediate effects, if any, do you expect from all this? Well, uh, you've only got to look around you. Uh, goodwill always breeds goodwill. Then what have you got in that bit of paper, eh? You take your hands off my basket! I'm not leaving here without my bit of You give that back to I'll soon see what you've got in here. It's not one of my favourites, to be fair. Because I, it, it's it's, I think it's the last knockings of the black and white British... I Sellers was about films, to ask that. I'm like, was was this the last sort of gasp before he went completely Hollywood? Uh, so much. this is two months after Wrong, Wrong Arm of the Law, isn't it? This comes out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess it is. And then the end of the year, it's the Pink Panther, and you're you're into a into a different style of filmmaking, really, aren't you? Yeah. All right. So number eighteen. All the anticipation. Uh, number eighteen is what's new, Pussycat? Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> um this is an interesting one i haven't actually watched this for years and i seem it's, to remember i quite liked it i liked the bits with sellers in anyway um have, have any of you watched it recently no i i haven't i mean it's i think it, it's dated now i think but it's a sort of period piece so you can you know it has a charm from the 60s if you like um mm. but i haven't watched it for many years um, it's it's a well-known film starring Warren Beatty, Leslie Caron, and Grant Show Marks. I don't know that much. Um, that was the original. Yeah, was cast, it? Yes, because it? it was it was that was um, Warren Beatty's catchphrase at the time, it wasn't was. it? That's right. <laughs> to save to save having to remember all these young girls' names. What's new, Pussycat? But I tell you what, it's got a it's got a great theme tune. Um, yeah, it's Woody Allen. Um, fantastic, uh, some fantastic one-liners from Woody Allen, and of course it's the film that made Woody Allen determined to be a writer-director. Uh, in fact, he does a routine about it in his stand-up. You know this one about um, Charles Feldman coming to see him on stage. He says he just adored me on sight. He thought I was attractive and sensual and good-looking and just made for motion pictures. He's a little short man with red hair and glasses. 
So uh, always used to like that. I, I also note that the review, uh, the review by Bosley Crowther in the New York Times was very negative, and that is possibly something that we're going to be repeating over and over again along the course of this podcast. Well, Bosley Crowther did not like Peter Sellers' films for some reason. Leslie Crowther. Not oh, Leslie Crowther. Tom Bosley. No, not Tom Bosley. Well, <laughs> I wonder what the original, because you can't find the original script for it anywhere. Obviously, it got, you know, significantly changed during production, didn't it? And this is what upset Woody Allen so much, because uh, this is the first screenplay that he did. In fact, it's sort of interesting that in this period, in the mid-60s, Sellers works through a series of um, former Sid Caesar writers, and they all do his first their first screenplays for Sellers. So I think this is the first of Woody Allen. And then you've got, um, what's it, Larry Gelbart, with, yeah. uh, which is the one he did, The Wrong Box. Uh, and then you've got Neil Simon with um, After the Fox. So, uh, oh, yes. so that... So, yeah, so that that's interesting. But I just wonder what that first script would be like before. And, of course, directed by Clive Donner. Did he make mm. any big successful comic? Because it just seems like a thing that's sort of a bit out of control. There's lots thrown into it. Uh, but it's just lots of glamorous women, lots of stuff going on, um, exotic locations, um, and uh, a big, well, a go-kart chase at the end rather than a car chase. But, uh, yeah. Mark, wasn't this um, Sellers sort of, way of easing himself back into yeah. motion pictures after his heart attacks. That's exactly what I was going to say. It was his first film really after his after his heart attack. Um, yeah. And and it's a romp, let's face it. It's a, it's a romp. I hate you. I hate you. I've hated you from the moment I first married you. You're a grotesque, lascivious adulterer. Don't you dare call me that again until I have looked it up. Lascivious adulterer! Silence when you're shouting at me! Lascivious adulterer! Lasci lascivious adulterer is a man that is a lascivious adulterer! What kind of book is that? You're a monster and a monster in that order! From memory, I think it's probably more dated than the Magic Christian, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but we'll it see. Is. It is, but I just do like those those one-liners, you know. Um, is she more pretty than me? Is she more pretty than you? I am more pretty than you. you know, just, um, <laughs> Wasn't there the line, something that that, that line about um, Woody Allen's character's got working in a strip club or something? Is that yes, right? Yes, uh, that's right. It's fifty dollars a week. Yes. it's all I could afford. Yes, I know. So brilliant, brilliant. But uh, yeah, that's probably what it was. Was just a lot of great one-liners like that. So, in a way, even if you did find the original script, it, it still might not have been much better. He probably got better as he went on. Yes. Well, let's move on to number seventeen. And I consider this film to have the best ending to a Peter Sellers film ever. So anyone would ever care to have a guess which film that could be? Being there? Where does it hurt? The running standing still film. <laughs> no. <laughs> um it's after the fox. Oh, you bring your poor, poor mother grief. So after the fox, 
I'm the director of Bicycle Thieves, that well-known rip-roaring comedy. <laughs> it's certainly it's certainly worth another look. I haven't seen it for a few years, um, but it is it is quite again a knockabout comedy. It is pretty good, uh, and and Sellers I think makes it. Without him, it wouldn't have worked really. And it continues that theme of Sellers as a small-time crook who is the leader of fairly hapless uh, villains um, as we sort of saw in um, Two Way Stretch and Wrong Arm of the Law. Mm. Yeah, I know that I know that um, at one stage, if I remember rightly, while they were filming, he actually performed in a prison, I think. Um, right. I remember, I think that was on the Isle of Is- Ischia. Um, mm-hmm. He actually performed for the prisoners. Quite what he did, I'm not sure. Um, but it was in some of the downtime that you know between filming sort of thing right um, so what peter sellers like you know like before johnny cash did it sellers yeah. was performing in prisons yeah, yeah absolutely yes didn't didn't they bring victor mature out of retirement for this film yeah i think they did yes and he's he was quite game to send himself up rotten wasn't he oh yeah it's actually got a very very good cast because it's also got merton balsam you know great character actor akeem tamaroff Maurice Denham. He also filmed uh, an insert for um, the Ed Sullivan show um, while he was filming to sort of promote right. the film, which I think yeah. it's on the internet somewhere, but uh, just a short kind of bit of promotion sort of in character as a film director. Indeed. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So moving on, number 16. And it is a show that we covered very recently on Goompod, The Pink Panther. Darling. Yes. Oh, hello, my darling. Hello, my darling. Why did you draw the curtain? Oh, just to keep me warm. Warm? Mm-hmm. Warm is one thing. There must be hell in there. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. Why don't you let me wash her back for you? Oh, it's already done, my darling. As I told you before, I just want to relax. We must have no secrets from one another, my yeah, I know, my darling. <gasps> I'll brush my teeth and keep you company. Oh, that's sweet of you, my darling. Hello? Inspettore, I thought you would like to know. Princess Dana has just checked out. Thank you very much. Oh, darling. You got rid of all those nasty zebra bubbles? I beg your pardon? I think you got rid of all those nasty zebra bubbles. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Pink Panther film, which is least like Pink Panther film. The, <laughs> the, the well-known um, film about a, a diamond thief starring, uh, who was it, David Niven, Peter Ustinov, Ava Gardner and Audrey Hepburn. That's right. Only. I have to say... I like David Niven, but not only is he acted off the screen by Peter Sellers, he's acted off the screen by Claudia Cardinal. Um, he doesn't, it's a, Pink Panther is technically a comedy, but he doesn't get a laugh until 45 minutes into the movie when he's trying to lift her. <laughs> That's right. Uh, as, and as we said on the show, um, I think the, the third act is the strongest. It culminates in that car chase. 
I have to agree. It, the fireworks pretty much start the best part of the film, I think. Although Sellers in the suit of armor is also a stroke of genius. What do you think of this, Mike? Yeah, I mean, you know, you just always enjoy it. But um, the thing is, it's, it's just so different what uh, what what comes after. It, it, it's uh, it's an idea in a stage of development. Just, Sellers is a bit like a parasite in other people's films. He's, he's there and he bursts out like this alien creature and takes over the whole thing and he just makes it his own. So this this was not even the most popular Clouseau film in its year of release, or its year of release in the UK, mm. anyway. Um, but it's just interesting. So this is really, you know, you're coming into the most extraordinary period in Sellers' career, sort of this sort of 1964 period, or it comes out in 63, doesn't it, in the USA. But um, 64 just seems like a pivotal year, doesn't it? Because uh, yes. 16 years earlier, he's not really anybody. 16 years later, he's dead. And also, of course, this year he dies as well, doesn't it, really? But um, yeah. uh, one of his clairvoyant friends had told him that someone with the initials B.E. was going to be very important in his life. And so, oh, yeah, yes. yeah, Britt Eklund or Blake Edwards... Or is it Bernie Eccleston? <laughs> but he Ebsen from the Beverly Hillbillies, maybe. It's certainly a gateway film. I mean, I think I think it was a sort of gateway film for Sellers, and um, I mean, it's it's to me, it's not a great movie. It's a good movie. Sellers is clearly uh, in his element in it. I've always found, for me, that he sounded more Italian than French, and obviously he worked on the accent um, in the in the in the subsequent films. Um, but he's he made the character stand out from the screen, and I think that that's what did it. The character really stands out more than any of the others. Yeah, yeah. I mean that it it yeah obviously, and that's just the thing that they run with, isn't it? And, but you know, there's this thing that they said about Sellers not being a a natural physical comedian. What what do we think of that? It all came from Blake Edwards. I think he grew into it. I think one of Sellers' problems was, uh, you know, over the years, was that he was sort of like the victim of his own talent uh, in as much as he became good at whatever he seemed to turn his hand to. So he was, he be, you know, he he needed to become, he needed to work on stage, so he became good on stage and good with impressions. Um, and that, you know, led him into radio and, and radio just extended that. Um, and he became good as a physical actor in the early days on television. Um, but then in films, I think he grew into being a more physical comedian because he needed to do that in order to be successful. So I think, and, and then later on, when he had all these things at his fingertips, I think he almost didn't know how to manage his own talent. Mm. Yeah. I think, it, you know, there's examples of him working physically in earlier films than this. And um, Seacombe, of course, describes him on radio as physically becoming the characters. So, mm. uh, yeah. All right. So, number 15, 1957, the smallest show on Earth, previous as previously covered on GoonPod, of course. Yeah, you did two episodes on this, didn't you? Wow. <laughs> it, it was longer than the actual film. It was the biggest, <laughs> biggest show on Earth, I think. Uh, <laughs> a film in which um, Sellers gives Clive Dunn the idea for his entire career. Yes, indeed. Probably, probably very unfair, Clive Dunn. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of that, though, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, it's 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 good. It's the same uh, William Rose who written the Lady Killers, and this is another nice, neat idea. And um, yeah, but it, it's it's one really for the you know the, the character actors, isn't it? Margaret Rutherford and Bernard Miles and Sellers. You, have, you know, the sort of ghostly quality. It's like like in the it may others. May also be it... a contender for best ending. 
in wow. the sense of uh, yeah. controversial a bit, I mean, but striking. <laughs> well, yeah. yes, because you've, you've got lovable old Bernard Miles who's set fire to a cinema and potentially killed people. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> but he's old Tom. He's old Tom. But they make a really good trio. The three of them together are, are just marvellous. Um, but of course, Sellers um, was really playing his William Mate Cobbler's character from The Goon Show, which he already visualised in uh, The Fred Shows on TV. Yes. Mr Quill. Mr Quill, what's going on? Old films, Mr Spencer. Classics in my time. I've saved them for years, bits of them. We used to run them like this in the old days, but not for years we haven't done it. Now it seems like old times once more. You forget, because Sellers was what? What age was he in 57? He was 32? Yeah, yes. I don't know how old Rutherford was and, and Bernard Miles, but you don't get the impression. You, 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 at, at no point watching the trio in this do you think, oh, he's just a younger man made up to look old. You you, you mm. totally buy that he is, they're all the same sort of generation. When when Sellers plays a really good character, certainly I find, you've you even though you've seen it before and you know who it is, you, you forget that it's Sellers and you focus on the character. And that, to me, is a sign of a great actor. Yep, absolutely. Okay, all right. Moving swiftly on, number 14. We've mentioned it before. It's Only Two Can Play. Oh, yeah. Very good. Um, um, but based, yes. based on the, the Kingsley Amos novel, That Uncertain Feeling. Kingsley Amos is in the film. Um, I can is tell he? you that. Yeah, there's, there's a nice little... <laughs> there's a man who's done a little YouTube film of lots of interesting things about uh, Only Two Can Play, which I, which I recommend heartily to you. Uh, so Kingsley Amos does his sort of Alfred Hitchcock sort of cameo as man getting off bus. Um, <laughs> but I think this is interesting because it's, it's a film set in Swansea featuring one of the goons. Oh, which one shall we use? The one who was actually born in Swansea? No. <laughs> Sellers as, as John Lewis, never knowingly underplayed. Uh, except here he is. He is sort of... It's a, Unusually restrained performance from Sellers, isn't it? But, uh, but really good, I think. He's great in it. I, I, I read in um, not the Roger Lewis biography, but the other biography, uh, that uh, he wanted to bail out before filming, and they took him to Wales to basically meet real Welsh people to sort of talk him into the role. Uh, I guess Harry Seacombe's not a real Welsh person. Perhaps no. not to Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Did Sellers believe that Welsh people were subhuman or something, and he didn't want to. No, I think it was just he didn't have confidence in, um, in in doing that sort of role. Yeah, I so. think he needed to kind of absorb it, you know, be 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 drenched in it, if you like, um, because it is. I think it's a quite a subtle role for him, um, in and in, in the use of his accent and so on. Um, yeah. And it's, and just it's, a, it's a, just a really good character that he plays. It's just just you know so sort of gentle in a way. Yes, yeah. And uh, but but do we do we do we buy him as a womanizer? Well, that's that's just it. I mean, you know, you you think what this part might have been in in the hands of uh, a Robin Esquith, you know, it'd be um it'd be different, <laughs> wouldn't? It? But uh, yeah, it's it's sort of it's sort of a seven year itch sort of um, territory, isn't it? That um, yeah, he's, he's not a mad womanizer, but he's thinking about it, and you know, it's just entirely believable. I think he's he's just a sort of a failed womanizer. 
Yeah, Ian, do you ever, uh, do you ever think about other things? You know, I mean, things like women. Women? Yes, you know, women in general, uh, apart from Megan. Apart from Megan? Well, you know, nothing. I was just thinking about something. Oh, goodness, I must just, uh, drop Megan's prescription in the chemist. Oh, right, oh, yeah. See you later. Mm. And it's sort of like, you know, one of these, although you don't associate it with the, um, you know, those kind of Saturday night, Sunday morning, you know, kind of, kind of. I suppose it's a bit more middle class, isn't it, really? But uh, it sort of has that quality to it, I think. Um, and also, it, it's the first comedy to get an X certificate because you see May Zeffling's bottom in it, in the in the distance, in a mirror, with, um, you know, slightly hazy. Talking of bottoms, um, the, um, there's that lovely scene with the girl getting off the bus followed by um, Peter Sellers and Kenneth Griffith. Um, and I don't know if you know, that that woman is actually the mother of the TV uh, personality, uh, Sarah Green. It is, uh, it's Mar Margie Lawrence, who is, um, Margie Lawrence, who yes. works with, she works with Milligan quite a few times around this, around this, uh, this period as well, doesn't she? Uh, yeah. She's in the bed sitting room. And then I think she's in Oblomov again. And, um, I think Sarah Green's dad. This is all thanks to the man who made the little video on YouTube. I think Sarah Green's dad is in it as well as the chauffeur. I'll have to check yeah. that if that's right. That, yeah. that video, that video is very good. The other thing he says in his video, <laughs> we'll all go off and watch the video now. Swansea Library wouldn't let them film in the actual library because of the theme of infidelity. So they had to do the interiors in the art gallery over the road. Oh dear. They weren't so bothered oh about infidelity in there. You see, uh, anything goes with them. Um, okay. Number 13. Number 13. We're back to Clouseau. It's the Pink Panther Strikes Again. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. This is Chief Inspector Jacques Clouseau speaking to you from the projection booth of this theatre. I have come here today to show you the first few scenes from my latest, most baffling case, The Pink Panther Strikes Again. Due to the importance and confidential nature of this case, I shall be operating the projection machine myself. Which one is that? <laughs> that's the that is the one with the with Michael where Dreyfus goes. Yes, that's right. And Dreyfus goes fully mad and has like this this uh, laser. Yeah. Um, Mark, what's your opinion of of this film? <laughs> um, I, I always find, and I think a lot of people probably do, not having seen them for a long time, they all blur into sort of one. Yep. But, but uh, I, I enjoyed the the Panther films when they came out. These these later ones, and they were again, they were good, colourful, uh, funny films. But I think um, uh, they're not obviously not the, to me anyway the best use of Sellers' talents, um, and mm. it was becoming a bit of a sausage machine in terms of making money and so on. The public liked them; um, they they were good. Um, my favourite has always been um, the Return of the Pink Panther um, because I think it was more focused and sharper and better written uh, than the yeah. than the later ones, which were a bit more hurried. But there's some great invention in in all of them. Some of it obviously improvised, some of it scripted. Um, but I think the, the you know by his own admission, I think the character was becoming more and more coarse and more uh, more knockabout um, comedy was involved and less and less sort of spoken word comedy, if you like. 
Yeah, it's it gets notably cruder. The film series gets cruder from this film, I think. Is this the, the one? Is this the one with the? Uh, I thought you said your dog did not bite joke because I think that's probably the most famous Pink Panther joke in general in terms of right. casual people remembering it. Yeah, yeah. Graham Stark, mm -hmm. Dreyfus in the castle. Yeah, yeah. But this is the second one of the comeback. In fact, if you take the Pink Panthers out of Sellers' seventies output then, uh, well, he wouldn't have made much money, would he? Uh, I think that's the, the basic problem. But there's, there's lots of very funny bits in it, aren't there? It still makes you laugh when you see those, uh, the, you know, the, 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 those sequences. But um, I think being saddled with, you know, it's got to be the Pink Panther every time. Yeah. If they'd gone with, like, because, like, Shot in the Dark, no mention of the Pink Panther, if they'd been able to carry on like that and actually have a different title each thing, each time. But because when they come back, it's got to be... Um, you know, Return of the Pink Panther, Revenge of the Pink Panther, The Pink Panther Strikes Again. So I think that tends to make us think they are all, you know, they all merge into one. But yeah, yes. I think of, of of this period, my my favourite one is probably uh, Return. Uh, but this yeah. is only very shortly after that, isn't it? Because that's seventy five or something. This is seventy six. That's right. That's yeah, right, and yeah. I think I think originally they wanted to call this Inspector Clouseau Strikes Again. Um, right. But you can imagine the the kind of movie guys saying no 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 it's got to be pink panther because it's you know from a marketing point of view that's what's going to sell it and you can and they were they were correct <laughs> mm. yeah mm. yeah dying was the ultimate thing that sellers did to frustrate blake edwards <laughs> well, it didn't it stop doomed, him. doomed him into spending the rest of his life trying to make more pink panther films with other people only to discover it was impossible he did try to he wanted to start another series called the ferret did um, he <laughs> yeah, um, and he tried to after because I think he was gonna the idea originally was gonna be was sellers again, but I think um, that he tried to get it off the ground with Dudley Moore, uh, oh, yeah. and I don't think ultimately Dudley Moore didn't want to know. I've got a feeling I can't remember now. I'd have to look it up, but I've got a feeling they did actually make a TV version of this with Steve Gutenberg. Um, figures. I, yeah. I, I obviously very memorable because nobody here has heard of it. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so he did he did have a try, but of course he was always going to be eclipsed by the Panther. Okay, number twelve, and it's the only film Sellers ever made with James Mason. It's Lolita from nineteen sixty two. Lord, mm. Mm -hmm. his first Kubrick, first Kubrick. Yep. Um, who here is red? Lolita. I think I probably did in my youth, and I can't remember anything about it. It's a long time since I've seen the film. But I uh, think I probably yeah. started it, but I wasn't able to get through it because I would have read it when I was like twelve or thirteen, which yeah. which is yeah. the same age as Lolita. She's twelve yeah. and fourteen in the film, um, and they cast a fourteen-year-old who has to look much older than she is, which sort of negates the original premise. I mean, it's it's yeah, the subject matter is very troublesome. I'd say. And also it was you yeah. know, made uh, for difficult times for Sue Lyon, who played her, I think. Tell me something. Um, I couldn't help uh, noticing when you checked in tonight. It's uh, part of my job. I notice uh, human individuals and I notice your face. I said to myself when I saw you, I said, that's a guy with the most normal looking face I ever saw in my life. That's very nice of you to see. Huh? Not a bit, not a bit. It's great to see a normal face because I'm a normal guy. Be great for two normal guys like us to get together and talk about world events, you know, in a normal sort of way. Well, there's nothing I would like better than that, but I, I don't have much time. 
Oh, it's a pity, because, uh, may I say one other thing to you? It was really on my mind. I'd been thinking about it quite a lot. I noticed when you was checking in, you had a lovely, pretty little girl with you. She was really lovely. I, as a matter of fact, she wasn't so little, come to think of it. She was a fairly tall little girl. Well, I mean, taller than little, you know what I mean? But uh, she was really lovely. I wish I had a lovely, pretty, tall, lovely little girl like that. I mean, it's... Well, that was, that's just my daughter. Your daughter? Gee, isn't it great to have a lovely, tall, pretty, little, small daughter like that? It's really wonderful. I kind of enjoyed Lolita, the film. But to me, and I haven't watched it again for for a few years now, it, my memory of it is it's quite long and it's quite baggy, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it is um, It is quite drawn out. I think. And I think it was a, obviously a very brave and, you know, fraught idea to make a film when they made it. Do you think, because um, obviously this was one of two films that Sellers made with Kubrick, do you think he had another Kubrick film in, in him, Mark? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And he talked about making a film with Kubrick. Um, but again, whether it was fact or fantasy with Sellers, I don't know. But he, he did talk about th- uh, on one or two occasions as though it was going to happen, but never saying what it was going to be or, or any more than that. So whether it was fact or fantasy, I don't know. OK. I've never been um, a great fan of Lolita, Um just for the reasons that you said, it appears to be sort of long and baggy. As 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 I've said, and I think most of us agree that you know Sellers shines out from it, but it, but aside from that, I found it just seems to be a bit drawn out. And I'm, I've what I've seen it a few times, but it's not the film that I would go back to. So I must go and see that again. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Number eleven. So we're getting close to the top ten. Number eleven. The Party from nineteen sixty eight. Speaking of troublesome films, yeah, I think it's a bit sort of early Mr. Bean in the sense of the party. <laughs> yeah, um, it is funny. It's always seemed a bit nothing as a concept, and um, I suppose the brown face element sort of means that you don't see it very much. Do you think that's fair? Uh, it's the film we got instead of the um, the third Sellers Clouseau film, isn't it? So um, he was. Uh, did he? Did he change his mind about being in the third Clouseau film? But it was too late, and so you got the Ananarkin one. So you get this one, which is um, what's they called? Uh, Frank and Tom Waldman. Frank Waldman oh, is yeah. it who goes on to uh, write the late, later uh, Pink Panther films. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yes, it, it's yeah. it's got funny stuff in it. Um, <laughs> it has some funny moments. Um, it's, it, there's but, no plot. There's no plot really. It's just a series of sequences, yeah, series of sketches, yeah. really, isn't it? Well, you could say the same thing about the Magic Christian until the end. Magic Christian is a series of sketches. That's true, but I will defend the Magic Christian to my dying breath. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not defending the party. The party is fine. There's some memorable sequences: the toilet paper sequence, the birdie num num <laughs> sequence. Birdie num num. Birdie num num. Birdie num num. A birdie num num. That's right. There were four. I'll give you a knock now. <laughs> Having the birdie num nums. <laughs> Good look. He's waiting for more num num. <laughs> All gone. <laughs> num num is gone. Now, I've always loved the party, and the reason probably is that, um, you know, in, the, in my early days of, of my love for sellers, um, it was one of those films that you could never find and you could never see. And they showed it once. I think it was on TV late at night and never having seen it before. I thought it was amazingly funny. And when I 
subsequently saw uh, watched it again and, and read about it and so on i realized that you know most of it was kind of made up as as it went along uh, apart from the framework for it um and i think so for me if you look at inventiveness um and from a seller's point of view this is when he was you know he most enjoyed filming i think you know as as he did with dr strange love he was given free reign to to sort of create things and make things up and i and he obviously loved doing that um i think it's spoiled by the end of the film with the elephant and all that kind of stuff um but i still enjoy it <laughs> that's what yeah. lake edwards was sort of offering it you know because they'd sort of fall out did they fall out on both the first pink panthers and swore never to work together again so they, yeah. they, they, this was the problem but um you know, maybe by just sort of, right, we'll have a film where we just sort of make up funny stuff on the set because that's the bit you like. That's what yeah. they thought, you know, would, um, would would make it all work again. But, yeah, it's it's a situation rather than a story, I guess, isn't it? Yep. All right. Well, let's move on. Number 10. We're into the top 10 now. Number 10. Now, this is a film, and I th- I'd argue that there's maybe a, a couple of Sellers films in this top 20 that possibly wouldn't be in the top 20 were it not for talking pictures tv um and this is a film that we have we've, we've mentioned briefly earlier which is a fantastic performance from sellers um and it's never let go from 1960. please yeah. sir um, a question that i haven't revised has just come up in the exam <laughs> if you never seen never let go Mike? I've, never, I've never seen it i know absolutely not so this is all going to be uh, very interesting to me so um, tell me about never let go well, so it's, it's, it's regularly on uh, talking pictures is that understood yeah i i watched i watched parts of uh never let go for this and it i mean it's it's a it's a dramatic film but i was surprised how many uh comedic actors were in it essentially playing i mean you had peter jones Yes. You've got John John Lemessurier who's all over um Sellers filmography. Um yeah. also uh David Lodge, uh, you may have heard of him. He was in Cockle Show Heroes. He was. Yeah. <laughs> and Adam Faith, wasn't it Adam Faith's debut? Yeah, uh I think he might have made one before this, certainly around this time anyway. And and for me the the only weak person in the film is Adam Faith really. Yeah, in- interesting aside that the theme tune by John Barry, um, he did an- another, he'd done another film around the same time, and it was these films that effectively got him the James Bond gig um, uh, when they needed someone, because I think Monty Norman, who wrote the original theme, uh, was letting them down with music. And so although they kept his theme, um, John Barry was brought in. He had a history of, of this and another film. And he was brought in to do all the film work for the first Bond movie and um, arrange and adapt uh, Monty Norman's original theme music. So it was good for him. Yeah. Does this and, have uh, does this have more fist fights than any other Sellers film? Oh, I would think so. On yes. screen, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the accent that sellers is lionel meadows that's his name isn't it what's the accent it's some sort of indeterminate northern accent isn't it birmingham it's meant to be birmingham i think oh is it yeah i think so but he originally i think wanted to play the or or he was originally cast in the richard todd role Uh, oh and um for whatever reason he decided or he wanted to swap it round 
because um, they're all playing against type. If you think about it, Richard Tobb usually plays the the square jawed hero in mm. and stuff like that. Sellers is always the kind of not the straight man, but he's he obviously in, into comedy. But he would play the kind of you know the average guy. Perhaps he was more likely to play that role. Yeah, um, and I think it's such a shame that probably through poor marketing um people were expecting him to be funny and it clearly wasn't that sort of film um and i think from all accounts that it, it put him off ever doing this sort of film again because the notices were so bad um and um you know other people didn't really like it and although it's dated now you look at it and you think you can see real talent i can anyway see real talent in sellers as a straight actor he, he obviously did a few roles like that on tv and on film but not enough and i think if you look at the careers of a lot of comedians uh, good that are, that are good at what they do they invariably uh, move into straight acting often with quite a lot of success i also read that uh this was one of those roles that um apparently sellers took home with him yeah and that was uh yeah it it affected his home life and his uh his marriage a little more, I think, than was comfortable. I'll get this out. You leave it where it is! But why? They can't tell you why. Because he thinks it's here. That stupid little bastard thinks it's here. And he's going to come back for it. And this time, I'll kill him. Wait a minute. I'll stick his body in his precious car, set fire to it, and I'll dump the whole bloody lot! Mike, uh... I demand after we finish recording that you uh, seek out this film and watch it because it is, uh, it's, I mean, Sellers is in it a lot, but it is really, it is a Richard Todd film and Richard Todd is yes. brilliant as this sort of slight, he's a slight fantasist, isn't he? Um, or at least he's, he's a little man. He's never amounted to much. Um, he's determined to get his stolen car back. Yeah, he, he's meek, mild and trodden on. And he really, as you say, grits his teeth and, and, and tries to stand up to Sellers a nasty character. Yeah. OK. All right. So number nine. Uh, back to this again. 1975. It's the return of the Pink Panther. Right, I've seen this. That's good. good. <laughs> In fact, I'll tell you what. I saw this when it came out. At the yep. cinema. Yes, because um, now I remember this coming out because you used to get these little features about Sellers' films which uh, crop up on the on the telly on Clapperboard. Do you remember that, Mark? Yes. Oh, yes. Clapperboard on on ITV with Chris Kelly. So I wonder if it was on there. I remember there being there was one about the, the Optimist of Nine Elms, and then there was one about this showing them uh, you know, improvising you... their way through the scenes and so on. Do you think Christopher Plummer is a better um, Pink yes. Panther than David Niven? I think most people would agree that he was a, a better Sir Charles. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I remember watching this on, it was shown on TVNZ in the 80, late eighties. It was around the time I was getting into the goons and I'd never seen it before. And I watched it and taped it. And I just remember so clearly howling, literally crying <laughs> with laughter, particularly at the, you know, the little, when, when Clouseau is going, is, is trying to infiltrate Sir Charles's house and he's disguised as a telephone repairman and he's got this little tuk-tuk kind of vehicle <laughs> and it keeps, <laughs> it keeps ending up in someone's swimming pool. 
Yes. And that used that had me howling. I'd never seen anything so funny. It's a, a marvelous footage of uh, of them filming that. Um, yeah. You know, and all that stuff because, as Mike said, you know that that it cropped up on all sorts of shows at the time on TV because they were very keen, obviously, to promote it. Uh, and it was here, there, and everywhere. And um, you could tell from the the result that they clearly wanted this to be a big success. They put a lot of effort in it, a lot of money in it. Uh, the script was pretty good. Um, and obviously, it was the success that everybody hoped for. Mark my words, Francois. Before the week is out, I will definitely have proof that Sir Charles Lytton is the phantom. Did you enjoy your food? Oh, yes, yes, sir. Very nice. You'll probably guess that I've got a passion for the oriental food, eh? <laughs> Kato usually does some cooking for me, but recently he's taken to attacking me at every chance. It's very bad for the digestion. That is very strange, Francois. I don't ever recall receiving the fortune cookie in a Japanese restaurant. What does it say? We shall see. Beware of Japanese waitress bearing fortune cookies. Japanese waitress? Kato! Kappa! Fire! And Kato! No, you idiot! Now, I just think, you know, all the way, well, as this series develops, you know to see all these sort of extra funny ideas that they just keep sort of you know coming up with and adding to it and um yeah so i think it's just just great the use of repetitive humor but, yeah um, i remember i remember watching this and thinking that um if sellers and blake edwards had been around um at the height of hal roach and you know the silent comedies the the films they could have made would have been mm amazing because a lot of a lot of the pig panther stuff works as silent comedy you have that milligan thing that he keeps cropping up saying this wasn't really set as sense of humor <laughs> he didn't really like this sort of i don't think that's true i think obviously he did like this sort of yeah thing. of course dan you think you know the, the, the sort of stan laurel connection from that the dan lino connection as well you know that mm. uh running through all this the, no so i think it's very good i enjoyed and, it and and full of faces as well we've got the usual dave lodge graham stark appearances of course obligatory um but you've got people like mike grady as a bell bellboy and catherine shell the, the fact they left her corpsing in some yes. of the scenes <laughs> I like julie it. andrews is in it for a few seconds and uh, as well, peter arn who was in a bunch of avengers yeah 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 okay so the, oh um, here's an interesting fact about the parrot oh yeah uh, or McCaw, whatever it is, he's also in two James Bond films. So <laughs> he's got quite a good IMDb page, the, uh, the parrot. He's in For Your Eyes Only and The Living Daylights. How about that? Blimey. How long do they live for? They probably live a good old to a good old age, don't they? Yeah. I think they can do. Yeah, we'll have to look him up on Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's crack on. Number eight. Uh, the Wrong Arm of the Law, 1963. Who paid to have your wife suit ashore? You did, Pearly. I did. I did. Who fixed for your son to get a Gordon's down? You did, Pearl. Well, I tell you something for nothing. When I find out who it is who's grassing. If you laughed with Peter Sellers in the two-way stretch, nearly died laughing at him in only two can play. Any more hairpins? 
C. Peter Sellers, alias Monsieur Jules, alias Pearly Gates. The master crook who opens up to the police to cop a gang of bogus coppers looting the loot from his lot. Oh, no, not you lot again. What about it? Well, you're not getting away with it this time. Get stuck in, C. Take a share in the most lawless takeover bit of the century. You've done it this time, I can tell you. Inspector Park. If I'd have known it was you, I wouldn't have done that. Don't give me that. What's the matter with you two? You got mad or something? I've never known you not to go quietly before. Well, it's all a mistake, Inspector. You see, we thought you was that phony mob. On the right side of the law is Lionel Jeffries as Parker of the Yard. What do they say? Well, I've never heard such audacity, sir. They've offered us a truce, a guarantee of 24 hours without any crime if we allow our full force to look for the IPO mob. But have they got the power to stop all crime being committed for the next 24 hours? Well, seeing as they're responsible for 98% of it, I'd say yes, sir. Uh, a sort of unofficial, I suppose, unofficial sequel of sorts. Not really a sequel, but a follow-up to Two Way Stretch. I've got things going round in here that would make Maygrave drop his pipe. <laughs> so that, that is a great line, isn't it? <laughs> so, of course, Galton and Simpson, great script. Yeah. yeah, it's a classic caper film that seems to star everyone if you like British comedy. I mean, it's got Cribbins and Graham Stark and is, I think uh, Dick Emery's in there somewhere. He is. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's um uh it's not to you know, it it's not quite as good to me anyway as um two-way stretch. Yeah, I go to that. Yeah. It it does show off Peter's love of cars. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. In fact, I think he bought the car in this film. Uh, I think that's the one that came up for sale not that long ago actually. Um but it's, That's right. uh, I, I would agree with you, Tyler. I think um, it, it's a great movie. It's not quite as good as the other one, but it's up there. And obviously with the Galton Simpson script, you know, that's no surprise. And yeah. you, you said before about the fact that in Never Let Go, Sellers originally was going to be taking the Richard Todd role and Todd was going to take the, the Lionel Meadows part. Yeah. Um, and I believe for Wrong Arm of the Law... At one point, it was going to be Lionel Jeffries as Pearly Gates <laughs> and Sellers as Nosy Parker. Is that right? Apparently. I mean, the, the problem with these sort of um, little facts is that you never know quite how serious they were at the time or whether it was just a conversation or somebody's bright idea or whether it was definitely this is the way it's going to be because uh, too much water's gone under the bridge. But that's certainly how I understand it. Yeah. Yeah. But he always had this insecurity, didn't he, Sellers? Yeah. That he thought he'd taken the wrong part. Well, that, you know, it's like somebody sort of going for dinner with somebody and then, oh, no, yeah, well, what I mean, they've got instead. He always he always hated his latest film. And then years later, he would look back on it and he'd be like, that was, you know, one of the great ones. Look at only yeah. two can play. It's with everything. You know, Brian Forbes' wife. Oh, I should have had that one, shouldn't I? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You can you can sort of understand the insecurity of a performer doing anything really that you think, um, you know, could I do better than this? Oh, the last time, you know, I didn't like the last one, but this one's going to be better. And then when you do it, you think, well, I'm not so sure it is. Maybe the next one will be better. So you can sort of understand that. And I think he was even more insecure than that. Yes, so, it's that insecurity which just just overpowers everything, isn't it? That's really yeah. where all the monstrosity, you know. That sort of plays out in his career. I think that's where it comes from. Yep, because that you can use that in acting, and amazing things happen. Yep. And uh, they um, were going to do another one, weren't they? Uh, Spy the Cold Nose with Lionel Jeffries and yes. Sellers. Yes. And right. um, 
and Ray Galton told the story about, you know, they get in the script and so it was after Sellers Heart and he was reading yeah. that script, he was rolling around on the floor laughing at it. <laughs> so they thought he was gonna they were gonna kill him again. Uh but of course then he didn't do it. And um because he couldn't get the insurance. And then it was uh, what's new pussycat where Charles Feldman insured him personally to come back. Uh, right. I do think Wrong Arm of the Law had one of the weaker endings of the Sellers films I watched. I did not like the ending. Uh, I actually, no, I, I disagree. Actually, you mean the the right at the end on the on the island? On the so, island, yeah. Um, I, I think I think that's perfectly fine. That ending. Um, but we'll we'll have words later, Sean. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're up to number seven now. Number seven is an interesting one because. I would argue, I don't know, I don't know how much Goompod has influenced this this list <laughs> because I wouldn't necessarily have expected this film to have ranked so high. But number seven is Hoffman from 1970. What am I doing here? Come along with Smith. Blow your lonely nose and come out of there. If things had been the other way round... And Tom had known about you. He'd never have done such a horrible thing. Horrible? Secret? Guilty? Yes. But Tom would imprison you in his little house and kill you slowly of fatty boredom. The lock doesn't work. <laughs> Come on, Miss Smith. Make an effort. Breathe calmly, relax. I'd think you were going to be asked to strip before tea. This was always in the list of, you know, in my youth. I remember you'd get these lists of sellers. Peter Sellers has appeared in, you, know, you get a list of films, and Hoffman was always in the list. I never knew what it was. So, yeah. yeah. But yes, a slightly sort of creepy um, two-hander. Oh, God. With, uh, have, you seen, have you seen the trailer for this film? I watched the trailer. I, I, I didn't get a chance to see the film, but the trailer makes it look like a horror film. It's it's cut like The Shining, and the thing of it, it's, it, it except it also has over the top of the trailer has over the top of it these like guy and girl doing like oh we're talking about a rollicking sex comedy yes it's a Peter Sellers film and it's filmed over this you know the creepy elevator bit. I think the, I think the trouble with this film um, and also um, some of his other films is they never quite knew how to market a film like this you know what's the audience for this film who they, they the the optimist is another one that suffered i think from this is this a comedy is it a family film how do we sell it mm. and i think it suffered probably from that i i have to say when i sort of first saw it i i was never a big fan of it but i've sort of grown into it again through a greater appreciation for sellers acting talent more than anything else and he's given the chance to play it straight and it's not always very nice and some sometimes it's not all very very good but it's just nice to see him given a chance to do something else what was the story on this one that you were, was this the one where he wanted to buy the the film yes. or something to stop it coming out yes which which he also tried to do with murder by death i think yeah and i think and i think there was a talk of that with um uh, the pirate film as well. You know, there were, there, there were several films like this where he kind of later on just wanted to destroy it or re-edit it or do something different with it. Didn't didn't he say he hated it because the lead character was so close to him? That's what he said, yes. Getting too close to the truth. 
Yeah, well, it got him a short-term fling with... What's her name? <laughs> Sinead Cusack. Sinead Cusack. Yes. It's quite a claustrophobic film. And with with a weird ending that they couldn't do today if they were to remake it. Um, because throughout the film, Sellers... I mean, he, he softens as a character as the film goes on, but at the end of the day, he's um, he's a bit of a creep, really, isn't he's he? A, he's a creeper, yeah, but I, I guess she finds him more interesting than her fiancé and his mother because, like, he actually cares about her. Yeah, but I think that's what it's so trying to say. Yeah, yeah. and it, it had been made before on TV with um, Donald Pleasance, and I think yeah. yes. that's on YouTube somewhere, I think. That's right, it is, yes. Um, okay. Now... Are we still expecting to see Ghost in the Noonday Sun turn up on those? Oh, lists? I very much hope so. Because <laughs> we're getting close to the top five now. <laughs> I must be number um, one. <laughs> so we're up to number six. Number six is from 1959. I'm all right, Jack. It's a classic. His first, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great his, film, isn't it? His um, first BAFTA, Mark? Oh, yeah, he was he was he was nominated for a BAFTA. It was really that if people don't know, it was really the second in a trilogy of films, uh, starting with Private's Progress. Although Progress, yes. wasn't in that, but many of the other characters were, and this was kind of this is what happened to them next. And as we said before, this is a, another of the Bol- Bolting Brothers' satires, and I think it's well known that that Sellers was offered it, couldn't see the humour in it, couldn't see where are the jokes, you know, and realised later through putting on the costume and and the and the haircut and so on that actually the the humor was in the situation and um it, it, in a way again almost another straight role for sellers but the, the humor the, the the comedy was kind of all around him yeah did you say it's it's it, it, he would do the character for the um you know the crew sort of thing and they recognized this sort of union figure yeah. Oh, okay. yes. 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 And I think um, I think that's what sold him on it, from what I understand. Yeah. Um, and there was a and there was a third story because they all came out in, in book form. There was a third story that was set in the swinging 60s. Can't think what it was called now. Um, and um, but that I don't even think that was offered to sellers. And, I, and it's never been made as a film as far as I know. But it was taking the characters further forward which he did himself with Fred Kite on his last album, The Seller's Market. Yep. Um, um, and it, the, the tracks that he recorded for that um, didn't come out because he was promoted to Sir Fred Kite. Um, one of the tracks was called Sir Fred at Number 10 and not particularly funny, but interesting. And he actually was going to do a single with Fred Kite, which he did record, but again was never released. So was this because of the Margaret Thatcher? Yes. Right. He was expecting, you know, some honour from Mrs Thatcher when she came in in 1979. He wrote wrote to Thatcher sort of congratulating her on her election win and uh, quietly hoping for a knighthood or something. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and of course, that never happened. But he didn't want to do anything to upset her. So he got them to withdraw the, the record before it was released. I, think, I actually um, watched this for the um, the first time in preparation for this. It was one of those that I was like, okay, if I don't watch I'm All Right, Jack, they're just going to, you know, get mad at me. So, and it's a, it's, a, it's a really good film, and I love Peter Sellers in it. Again, it's another example of him sort of taking over the film 
in terms of I think he's the best thing in it. I did not like the film as much as um, I think everyone else does. I, I, I generally don't like satire where the point is everyone is awful, which I think is mm. where I'm all right. Jack is is going. Um, I mean, I know what the the hidden agenda quote behind the film, but uh, Sellers in uh, as Fred Kite, um, I especially love the scene with him and Terry Thomas in Fred's apartment after uh, his wife has left. That the acting in that is, and, and honestly, uh, it's also nice to see Terry Thomas do a relatively straightforward column role for him. Well, he does call, he does refer to stinkers, doesn't he? I don't know if he refers to anyone as an absolute shower in this film. But <laughs> that was just, just, sorry, Mark. Private's progress. I don't know if he coined it before that, but pro certainly that crops up in Private's uh, progress. But the, he made he and Sellers made quite a few films together, uh, and it's yeah. always great to see them both. <clears throat> the works committed to see you, Major. Ah, come in. Take a pew. Cigarette. After due deliberation, Major Hitchcock, the Works Committee has had to call a stoppage in response to our members' wishes. Oh, really? Well, what precisely is the trouble? The members feel that the agreement negotiated with respect to time and motion study is being contravened. Oh, that's impossible, you know me. I wouldn't do anything behind the backs of the unions. Then perhaps, Major Hitchcock, you can explain the presence of this new man. New man? But he hasn't started yet. Hasn't started yet? Then what's he doing on a... Forklift truck. Who? Windrush. Wind? That name rings a bell. Get his particulars. Let's be perfectly frank with each other, Major. This man is not a genuine worker. He's admitted as much. And in permitting him to drive one of them trucks, I would say the management is willfully jeopardizing the safety of its employees. I do think Ian Carmichael, I think, might be another reason why I don't like this film. I, I like Ian Carmichael and other things. But I think his Bertie Worcesterness in this is just a bit too mm. completely yeah. irritating for my taste. Uh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. But but the most popular film in Britain that year. Uh, do you was. think? Yeah, getting back to the Sellers uh, yearning for a knighthood. Do you think following being there, he was being considered for a knighthood, and then, and then they saw the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu <laughs> decided <laughs> against it. Uh, okay. We're up to the top five. Number five. Number five. Drum roll. It's two-way stretch. All right. In which um, Peter Sellers comes up with a very nice idea for Ronnie Barker. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a great film. It's it's a classic, I think. It's a Sellers classic. This is, this is the and... one that I didn't get to see, but I am actually planning on uh, checking out after this podcast because it's the one where I'm like, oh, I really should see that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the, so this well, this is released in February 1960, so just a month after the goons are finished. So, oh yes. Uh, yeah, and yeah, no, it's 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 just very solid, isn't it? It's just a solid idea, solid script, and. Um, Lenny the Dip and Jelly Knight and Dodger Lay. These are the sort of criminals you want, aren't they? I'll start the campaign for real criminals like this. <laughs> and like you say, Mike, it clearly had some influence on uh, Clement and Lafrenet. Well, yeah. So I was looking into this, very close to Porridge. You know, it's, it's uh, Fulton Mackay. You know. 
just looks so much like Lyman Jeffries in this now because you've got Bernard Cribbins as as Lenny. You know, the, the cellmate is actually called Lenny in oh, this yes. and in Porridge. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, Sellers' character is, a, is, is sort of a mix of Fletcher and genial Andy Grout. But yeah. then I thought, in fact, when the first episode of Porridge was not Porridge, of course. It was Prisoner and Escort in the um, the series um, Seven of One, which was okay. yeah, Ronnie Barker series, in which he did a different, you know, different sort of situation, a sort of comedy playhouse thing each week. It's uh, it's a different setup and a different half hour. So the interesting thing, just looking back through the radio, talk, sort of interesting to me anyway. Prisoner and Escort, the Ronnie Barker thing, um, is broadcast first of April, nineteen seventy three, seven seven of one, and. I reckon Dick Clement and Neil Lafrenet must have found out fairly soon after that that uh, no, we want a series of that. How are you going to develop it as a series? Because then, in May 1973, what's on on the BBC but two way stretch? Um, so yeah, just just a month after Prisoner and Escort had gone out, and then Porridge begins the following year, September 1974. Um, and supposedly. Again, from Wikipedia, <laughs> is it true? Unofficially borrowed from a Will Hayfield film called Convict 99, which um, oh. has anyone heard that before? Or somebody made well, that up? Uh, Graham Rinaldi, former guest, he would know because he's uh, he wrote a book about Will Hay. Right, yeah. Cause, um, but that, that might be interesting because, of course, Will Hay inspired Dad's Army as well because um, there was a Will Hay film on it, sort of christmas 1966 or 67 or something and that's what jimmy perry saw and thought oh yes that's that's the formula i want for my brain and he sort of replicated the uh sort of oh. you know, um yeah pompous man old man and stupid boy and um from the will hay film and turned that into dance army so there you go back in those days before video before youtube certainly when something was shown a film was shown the once and that was it maybe yeah. on tv yeah yes I mean, it, it's it's nice that um, I always think of two-way stretch as being uh, what I call a, like a circular plot, a bit like the blood donor is a circular plot, um, uh, you know, where th there's this idea of kind of breaking out uh, of the one place that, you know, is going to be safe for you to commit a crime and then and then go back in sort of thing. Like the blood donor, the, the, the character, you know, Hancock, uh, it's only because he donated blood that he was able to save his life. So it's a nice, <laughs> neat plot device. Yeah. Yeah. It's a satisfying, neat little film. But then that's that's the problem, isn't it? People stopped wanting little film. I mean, I say little, but you know you know what I mean? It's, it's um, people want a big spectacular at the cinema. That's what the cinema can offer. So the world of films changes as Seller's career progresses. And so... You know, unfortunately, there's less time for this sort of thing, which uh, which I enjoy very much. Hello, Daddy. Hello, eh? Looking forward to coming out? No, I decided I'd like to stay here for the rest of my life. Well, I thought you didn't like it here. Mm. Now, look, I'm going to come straight to the point. I want the band put up this Sunday without fail so we can get tied up directly you come out. Blimey, here we go again. But the whole street's talking about it. I mean, to say, five years now you've been courting me, and what have I got to show for it? Nothing. Well, you've been dead lucky, haven't you? Anyway, I'll give you a smashing engagement ring. Yes, and I can only wear that in the house with the blinds drawn. It's not good enough. Whose fault was it we didn't get married after that Malvan job? Not mine, I'm sure. No? No. Well, may I remind you that had you got to the church at the time specified, you'd have arrived there before the police did, thereby avoiding a nasty fracas with the law. Language, please. Well. Well. Directed by Robert Day, who uh, directed two films that year, Two-Way Stretch 
and Tarzan the Magnificent. So um, that film that is most like two-way stretch. <laughs> okay, so number four. Uh, any any predictions at this point what number four could be? Does it come out in 1955? Uh, give that man a bun. Yes, it's the Lady Killers. <laughs> I thought so. Excellent film. Great idea. Came to William Rose in his sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, just a very neat, very neat idea, isn't it? And um, yeah, just great characters. Sellers is the world's oldest teddy boy, Harry Robinson. Um, <laughs> Sellers said it was the first real film he made. Uh, and even then, though, it was supposed to have been, is this true, Mark? He was jittery even doing this one. I'm sure what he was so. doing. I think so. And uh, reportedly, a lot of his part was was cut out anyway. It's mm. a super film. I mean, it, the trouble with all of these films is there's a certain amount of nostalgia associated with all of this stuff. If you've seen them before years ago, and it's very hard to separate, is it a good film against nost- the nostalgic view of it? I mean, I, I love it and I always have loved it um, because it, even without Sellers, you know, um, which is obviously our focus. It works. Like you said, it's it, it's a really nice film. It's almost a, well, it is, a, I suppose, a black comedy. Um I love seeing all the London street scenes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it benefits from being in beautiful colour. Um, yeah. and, and so it w- works on all of those levels. Then you sort of put Sellers in it. And he's not the, necessarily the best character in the film. But, I mean, he he clearly loved doing it. You know, this was, as as we know, this was the opportunity for him to work with his idol for the first time. And he was clearly over the moon with doing this film, um, and we've probably all heard the, the the recording that he made of a sort of spoof trailer for the film in which he plays all the characters. And he yeah. loved it so much um, that when it was released, um, he went on a little tour around some of the cinemas in parts of London uh, on stage um, doing little sort of vignettes, not from the film particularly, but just in character um at the sort of all these different um first showings of the film uh, which was i don't know if he was paid for that or not probably not that's what i was going to ask did he just turn up or was it part of the publicity for the film i think it was part of the publicity because i think he had people with him from the film company but it was basically just him you know he he perform he'd do little bits of his stage act from what i understand so he'd have this great big case rather like the one that all the money was in um mm. in the film and then he'd, he'd say, well, I've got this uh, musical instrument. It's the 19th century quinge. Um, and uh, he'd take it out. It'd be his ukulele. And he'd perform some songs and do Winston Churchill and a few other impressions. I wonder he which had... song he'd do on the ukulele. <laughs> Would it be I Haven't Told Her and She Hasn't Probably. Told Me? <laughs> which, he, which he and his father always claimed they wrote. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they did, but the trouble no. is now, you know, you try and research this stuff, it's very, very difficult because, well, certainly on the internet, if you put that in, it comes up with Peter Sellers' name. It's interesting that this film was so early in his filmography that you get the uh, chance to see a film which Peter Sellers has a substantial role in but doesn't take over because, I mean, this is this is Guinness's uh, film. Yeah. And it, yeah, I, I've, I've seen the film, but I honestly... Peter Sellers is very good in it, but I, I watch it for, for Alec Guinness and also for Katie Johnson, who I think was fantastic in this film. Come in, gentlemen, come in. 
May I introduce Mr. Lawson? How do you do, gentlemen? Mr. Lawson. And Mr. Robinson. Mrs. Wilberforce. Mr. Robinson. All right, thank you. You're the cellist, Mr. Lawson. Uh, what now? Uh, he's the cellist. Yeah. I'm the, uh... There's uh, only Mr. Harvey to come. I think perhaps we might, um, go upstairs. Yes, yes. <laughs> Excuse me, oh, Mrs. I'm Wilberforce. Oh, I'm so sorry, Major. Here. Yeah. What's all this about, Doc? Take out your instruments. Not Doc this time, Harry. Professor. There are some marvellous um, still photographs uh, from this film, on again on the internet, I think, of, of kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. So they're worth seeking out with all the all the all the various sets and and, and things like that and it, it's yes. also noticeable for notable for um appearances by people like frankie howard and kenneth Connor oh, yes and stuff yeah. like that could have done without frankie howard unless i think <laughs> uh, and, oh by the way just on that next week's guest i won't i won't give away who that is but there's a, there's an anecdote about frankie howard which god knows how i'm gonna keep that in the in the show well obviously you're gonna to have to or you're gonna to have to tell us now i think i can there. guess who your guest is from that description yeah what was well, he chased around the sofa by uh, frankie howard in his youth by any chance yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> well you can tell us off air sometime yeah um okay so we're up to the 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 the, the top three okay and number three is well my favorite peter sellers film of all time and it is a shot in the dark. Right. I think it's the best Clouseau film. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so quickly following on from the first one, isn't it? It's uh, just, just a few months later. Yeah. Well, oh, because... Goon, Goon Show references. Uh, I also missed this in the Pink Panther. The Pink Panther, I think you mentioned, had multiple instances of uh, it was Helen there. Yes. Dropped in. And uh, in a shot in the dark, we get a quick bit of uh, quick nurse the screens. At one <laughs> That's point right. He gets his fingers caught. Right. But, but quite a brave thing to do, really, for Blake Edwards to launch straight into this without even having released the first film and, and hoping against hope that um, the, the Clouseau character would yeah. rescue the film. So what was the story there that? Sellers was already booked to do this film or something, um, but he didn't want to do it. Is that is that correct or, or what happened? Do, do you know, I, I, my, my memory's failing. <laughs> yeah. I know that when I it was on Broadway, William Shatner played the yeah, role that was adapted right. as Sellers. Please try not to imagine William Shatner starring in A Shot in the Dark. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it would be a completely different character. That's the thing. It was, yeah. It, it's based on this play, and then they put Clouseau into it, which must just change it completely. So that must ruin all future business for the play because you couldn't now do it because some <laughs> and, people and of expect Clouseau to come. To me, to me, it does come across as a stage farce um, rather than the Pink Panther film. It's not, not necessarily worse for that, but it is a different sort of comedy film to the Pink Panther film. Um, and I always feel that you can all... I guess it's it's because I already know, but it, but it does feel like Clouseau is crowbarred into it. Yeah, well, yeah, that, from the story, then that sounds e exactly what they did. That yes. uh, they just adapted something and, and turned it into a, a Clouseau. But, but it's brilliant, just the, you know, just, oh, yeah. just the sort of creative energy that you feel running through this. And uh, of course, this is um, 
June 1964 he comes out. So this is this is just a few months after the heart attack, isn't it? The year of the heart attack in the quest for the ultimate orgasm. But um, <laughs> instead, he achieved the ultimate comedy orgasm. I, I also love the love the way that you know Sellers is is furiously doing his French accent, and George Sanders is George Sanders basically. Not, not he's really good in this film, but, he's, but not attempting any sort of French accent or no. He's <laughs> just being no. George Sanders. Yeah. And 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 who's got a hand in the screenplay? It's, it's William Peter Blatty. William Peter Blatty, who, who later owes went on to write The Exorcist. Exorcist. Absolutely. Yes. And he owed his career to Groucho Marx. Oh? Yeah, because he was on Groucho Marx's quiz show, You Bet Your Life. Oh. And he, he won $10,000. So on the basis of that, he was able to give up his job and become a writer. So he had it oh. all to Groucho Marx. Well, there you go. Um, there's a lovely little cameo. I think uncredited or no, he, he is credited, but so we've got Brian Forbes as Turk thrust. I was yeah. going to bring that up. If you did not. Yes. It's a great Which... credit. <laughs> and where do you think you're going? I do not think, sir. I know where I am going. I am going to the recreation area. Not like that. You're not. What was that you said? I said you're not going to the recreation area like that. I'm Inspector Clouseau of the Sûreté. Well, how do you do? I'm Turk. I am here on official business and I'm looking for someone at the recreation area. Not unless you take off your clothes. You, sir, are under arrest. Arrest? What for? For making lewd and suggestive remarks to an official of the French government. Lewd and suggestive remarks? Also for indecent exposure. Doesn't anyone wear any clothes around here? No. What? This is a nudist colony. A nudist colony? Right. And nobody gets in unless they take their clothes off. What, um, all of them? All of them. Right down to your mustache. Also, speaking of that, um, that scene, uh, Reginald Beckwith is, is very good as the, the nudist camp receptionist. But... Mm. I don't know whether it's because they have similar body types or hair or something, but I was thinking if you were to put Harry Seacum in this film as the nudist camp receptionist, I think it would be hilarious. <laughs> that would have been. <laughs> There's they not too many. To, they never have been able to complete the take. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, this, that is an issue, isn't it? That he works so little, really. There's, there's no film, is there, with Seller? Sellers and Seacombe, apart from you know, Down Among the Zed Men and so on. But, mm. um, and, and Milligan as well. He never works with them, really, or, or hardly ever. Is this odd? Do we, do we think this is well, odd? No. Well, Milligan, he was in the, the Still to Come, Ghost in the Noonday Sun, of course. I mean, yeah, of course, yeah, the, um, the Triumph. And, and McGonagall, Great McGonagall. Yeah, I think it's, but... I think it's more surprising to me that, you know, because let's face it, Milligan was always really more of a writer than a performer. It's more surprising to me that Milligan didn't write more for Sellers. Yeah. yeah. No. Do you think he was, well, we don't know. <laughs> Presumably Milligan was not um, sending him film scripts every every few weeks. It's just <laughs> odd that, you know, at some point, you know, I've achieved this, now now we can make a film together. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you're right. But that, that never happens. And um, maybe that sort of, because uh, I remember when um, Sellers died and Milligan was on the uh, was on the telly talking about it and saying, you know, you worked with all these directors, and um, the problem was that uh, they meant well, but uh, then so did Hitler. 
you know, so um, Milligan always seemed to sort of you know, be looking down his nose at Sellers' film career, although I guess he would have really liked a, a bit of that action himself. A certain amount of envy, I'm sure. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I also think A Shot in the Dark has one of my favorite lines, which is um, sanity and reason become things of the past. Madness reigns, which I need to use more often in everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> There's a marvelous scene, of course, which with the with the snooker cue and, and all that. Oh, yeah. George Sanders. And as you probably know, there's the story about they just couldn't uh, shoot that scene without breaking up. But what, why does he fall out with Blake Ed Edwards so badly on this? You think it might occur to him, this is going really well. These are really successful. They make lots of money. I, I'll do I my best not just to fall out Peter with Peter Sellers just fell out with people a lot. I don't know whether it was the specific situation. I think it was more him. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I there's elements of ego in all of this sort of thing. And 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 let's face it, you know, the the, the film business must be full of egos. Um, uh, and uh, oh, I wouldn't have thought so, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it it could have been like the comedy Bond, couldn't it? You know, it could have just had one of these every few years. But um, I don't know. But that is not what happened. No. So, so we're up to the 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 the, the final two. <laughs> so. I think it's pretty obvious which two haven't been mentioned so far. Um, Did you say Ghost in the Noonday Sun? Yeah, well, yeah. that would be an outlier, wouldn't it? Um, at number two, at number two, the 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 anticipation is killing me, um, and I know the answer. At number two is 1979, being there. I'm Chance the gardener. The gardener? Yes, since I was a child. I worked in this garden. Then you really are a gardener? Oh, yes. May I ask your name? <coughs> Chancy Gardner. Mr. Chancy Gardner, are you related to Basil and Perdita Gardner? No, I'm not related to Basil and Perdita. Gobbledygook. You know, Chauncey, there's something about you. You don't play games with words to protect yourself. I had no brains at all. The stuff with rice pudding between the ears. On television, Mr. President, you look much smaller. Dumb as a jackass. As long as the roots are not severed, all is well. And all will be well in the garden. Well, it's, I think it's a remarkable film. I mean, I think it's also one of those films that you either love it or hate it. Some, peop, some people don't like it. Some people love it. Yeah. Ra Razor's uh, hand. I don't particularly like it. Uh, I, I, again, I think it, it was a marker to the future, potentially. He'd obviously wanted to make it for an awful long time. Um, it, and having said that, you know, as he got closer and closer, he realised that he didn't really know how to play the part. Um, I think it... It's not one of, for me, it's, it, I, I love it, but it's not one of those films that bears lots of watching. I think, you know, you can see it a few times and, and you kind of get the message for, from it. Um, but I just think it shows him as being able to take on, I think, a very difficult role. It's deceptively difficult, I think, because he is playing a person with basically no personality. The one thing, if you like, that he's never, ever done 
everything he did up to that point was clearly distinctive characters, you know, notable for for the way they spoke, the way they acted. And this is the complete opposite. And um, I just think it shows his his range from being able to do all those other things and then being able to do this as well. Mm. So it's maybe it's a bit dated. I find it difficult to know that whether it is or not. But I enjoyed it when it came out and I haven't seen it for a while, but I still do. Yeah, I saw it. When it well, no, not when it came out. It must have been back in cinemas after he died because uh, I remember going to see it when I was first at university. So this would have been the end of 1980. I think I went twice. I enjoyed it so much. Oh. Um, yeah, no, so I did, I did like, but I have not seen it since. It's it's hardly ever on, you know, when's it been on the telly? Yeah. Seems to seems to have been on the BBC twice in um, 2006, about 2006. It was on twice in rapid succession. So um, you can get a hold of it, though, can you, on the... DVD and oh yeah, there's a nice Blu-ray. The trouble is now, I think there are echoes of of it now in real life, and it looks. Well, oh, that's <laughs> a, a complete simpleton finding his way to the highest office in the land. Eventually, never yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um But yeah, yeah, just I get a sort of fairy tale again, like, yeah, like the Lady Givers, his first proper film. But you know, this has a sort of fairy tale quality as well. There's a theory that um, that he's dead all the way through the film. You, you what do, you, what do you think of that final scene? I, I no. where, he, where he walks across the lake. Well, they have lots of theories about it, don't they? I think it's just a thing they discovered they could do, and then this just provides the ending. So. There was another ending, which I don't know if yeah. you've seen. Yeah. That. That's available on the Blu-ray or something, I, I think. Which is which is probably weaker. Um, but yeah, I what think the blooper, the blooper reel is that. The, yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. But he, he always had a book on the go, didn't he, Sellers? So at first mm. it was the Magic Christian. He was going around touting until they made that. And then soon after he's made that, Being There comes out. And then he's going around. You know, uh, so, so there's something in these books that appeals to him, that sort of speaks directly to him. But also but, I um, think he liked the idea of working with Hal Ashby after having yeah. seen Harold and Maud, which I think is mm. a brilliant film as well. Um, yes. He really loved the idea of doing that. Yes, he championed Harold and Maud, didn't he? Yeah. Supposedly. Shame he didn't work with Mel Brooks, um, because oh, yes. he was obviously into into that as well. And it would have been lovely. It'd been interesting to see them working together. Well, that's yeah. right. So that that's the one that he missed, isn't it, from all the um, Sid Caesar writers? So that could yeah. have been the other one he did, the producers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> instead, he, he ends up just quoting it on Parkinson. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, um, being there, what, what's your thoughts? Um, I think I'm probably uh, mostly agreeing with you. I, I watched it years ago uh, when I was um, looking for important films. And I, like a lot of important films that I watched at that time, I think I was like, hmm, not not as into it as I thought I would be. Um, I like Shirley MacLaine in it. But yeah, I, I, I like Peter Sellers when he is a definitive character. So the the complete absence of said character as as chance. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just find it. I, it's not it's not full of boffo laughs. And I know it's not meant to be. It's not meant to. But uh, I don't know. I, I've always struggled to find anything in it that I particularly warm to. 
Um, but it's clearly a very important film, very popular film. And the closest he got to getting an Oscar, obviously uh, denied him by, was it Dustin Hoffman for Kramer versus Kramer? Is that what killed him? Yeah. <laughs> That's what finished him off. <laughs> okay, so we're at the number one spot. And let's just say what it is. It's Doctor Strangelove, of it's course. Doctor Strangelove, yes. Yeah, it's it's a great 1960s satirical film, isn't it? Uh, his second Kubrick. Um, do we love it? Um, I don't know. Yes. Particularly my favourite. Uh, but yes, what I was thinking when, you know, sort of thinking about this again, it's because you've got this whole satire movement in the, in the 60s. Doctor Strangelove is like, there's bits of it which sound like they're straight from Beyond the Fringe. Obviously, none of the Beyond the Fringe people have got anything to do with this this film, but but bits of it sound like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, the custard pie fight at the end. So, uh, is it a film that was found in the edit? Because you know, Sellers' improvisations—they're sort of they're a bit much in a way, aren't they? But Kubrick finds a way to make them work within the film. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that is what I don't get? What I don't understand really is is obviously Kubrick had a reputation or gained a reputation for being a, a, a real taskmaster with his actors and you know multiple 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 takes. Um, whereas I gather with with Sellers, he just kind of did what he wanted more or less, didn't he? Yeah, I think I think what it probably was was that he recognised that Sellers was only going to ever give one or two good takes, and if he didn't capture that it wouldn't work. Um, so it was understanding Sellers as much as anything else, even if it went against how he worked, he realised that if I've got Sellers in this film, I'm going to have to work this way. And obviously Sellers liked that. But actually, although I love um, the Doctor Strangelove character, uh, increasingly I find that the, the president is really good. Um, he, he, mm. He's almost, you kind of almost don't notice him because of the over the top nature of the Doctor Strangelove character. Um, but actually, I think the press, the president is again, is almost a straight role with Sellers and he does it really well. But it, the Mandrake character is often overshadowed by the other two. I was about to say the Man- Mandrake is more of the straight role. Um, I, I guess everything's overshadowed by Strangelove, but. Um... Honestly, my my favorite part, uh, my favorite um, actor in the film, I I mean, it's a show off film for Peter Sellers and he's brilliant in it. But uh, Sterling Hayden is really, I really like Sterling Hayden. in this. I thought I thought you were going to say George C. Scott. I mean, Scott's very good. I, I, you know, the anecdote about how he had to be tricked into um, into playing it like that. Yeah. Was it was it was was the was it that Kubrick said, let's just. It's kind of like just finding the character, just playing. Yeah, he was. He was. This is for for a practice. Just you know, go over the top, and then he'd use it it. as the real take. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I also like it because it's a black comedy, and I just happen to like black comedies, and and so seeing Sellers in a black comedy, I think is great. And obviously, the whole genesis of the thing from being a a straight piece to being adapted into what it became, I think, is marvelous. Really, because it didn't start out that way. No, it was based on oh, called novel. Red Alert by Peter George. Yeah. Was one yeah, of the, t- uh, the Terry screen. Southern came in and sort of yeah, but Terry Southern it. didn't work on it for very long. Is that is that correct? He only worked on it for about ten days. But uh, right. a, lot, a lot of his reputation seems to be based on this. I suppose he, 
so Sellers was already going around sort of with his copy of the Magic Christian saying uh, somebody ought to make this. Um, but yeah, so uh, Terry Southern was, was brought in to work on the on the screenplay. Uh, he'd interviewed Kubrick the year before or something. Now, right? didn't they make didn't they make another film based on the book that came out the same year? Yeah, with, uh, with Henry Fonda. Failsafe? Fail yes. Oh, well, that's right. Yes. There's, yeah. yeah. So the original book is Red Alert. There's Failsafe, which has, uh, and they sued over the simil similarity of the um, the book Failsafe was based on. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. And the, um, the premiere was delayed because of the assassination of Kennedy. Oh, really? Yeah. And they reckon that, that this may have have been the last film that Kennedy actually saw. So he, he had an early copy of it before he was uh, assassinated and oh. they believe that he watched it. Oh, rather depressing last film. To... <laughs> I mean, if you're going to have a last film. <laughs> well, yeah, better that than down among the Z men, I suppose. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, does um, that suggestion that the, uh, the bombs dropping in Vera Lynn was the spike side idea, isn't that? That's right. Uh, yes. Uh, which is that that sounds believable because it is the sort of thing you can imagine cropping up in queue or somewhere, you know, that, that, yes. that juxtaposition. Um, so that's that. <laughs> as much, like, like much as I'd like to see the footage of the custard pie fight, I think it was a good decision not to include it. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, but that, that's what I mean. That, you know, the, you just find these films in the edits by putting it together and oh yeah th this works you know this works artistically now but it's it's not exactly what what they scripted what they set out to do yeah. so, um, and of course a, a year later blake edwards makes the great race uh it culminates in a custard pie fight doesn't it uh -huh. i seem to remember yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, that's also so they... blake edwards as a silent film director yeah <laughs> Well, yes. Yeah. So this one is beginning of 1964. It comes out. Of course, you know, there we are, that pivotal year again. So, um, and uh, yeah, so it's just shortly after this, he meets Britt Eklund and um, marries her 10 days later. Yeah. And then the heart attack follows. And in, yeah. in the meantime, he, uh, just after he met her, he took her to see this. Right. <laughs> Date movie. Uh, <laughs> and of course, we've just, just, just lost Henry Kissinger, although there are some debates about whether Dr. Strangelove is meant to be Henry Kissinger, but it sort of became associated with him, I guess, after That's the right. fact. Yes. So he, he would not have actually been known so much as a as a figure, Kissinger, at the time the film came out. Yeah, it's a rare case of the, the film re writing reality in a, in a way. But look here, Doctor, wouldn't this nucleus of survivors be so grief-stricken and anguished that they'd well, envy the dead and not want to go on living? No, sir. Excuse me. Also, when, when they go down into the mine, everyone would still be alive. There would be no shocking memories. And the prevailing motion will be one of nostalgia for those left behind. Combined with a spirit of Bold curiosity for the adventure ahead. <laughs> and apparently, um, Armando Iannucci is working on a stage version. He is. Uh, right. He I'm is. not sure if it's a musical or not. I, I kind of hope it is. <laughs> It'd be like yeah. Springtime for Hitler. 
<laughs> I'm, and I'm doing I'm doing what I can to try and get him on the show. Oh, that'd be good. Mm. I'm not getting very far, but I'm <laughs> doing what I can. Uh, so, gentlemen, so that is the that that is the official Goompod listeners top twenty Peter Sellers films of all time. Um, is it is it a fair list? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's. Well, I, I don't see why not. I mean, it's as I said, I think I said right at the beginning, you know, it's a very kind of a personal thing, you know, and it depends what criteria you apply and all that kind of thing. So are they yeah. his best films? Possibly, possibly not. But they're, they're in there that, you know, I, I for me, I might put them in a different order, but I don't think there's anything glaringly missing. No. I was just going to say any any surprising omissions from any of you. Um, I thought the wrong box might have crept in there because you featured it on the pod. Yeah. Um, I might have thought, I, I think, I, in fact, I voted for it because I, I quite like it, even though I get why it's not on there. But the mouse that roared. Um, yes, yes, because yeah, that's the, yeah. the one which went down. That was an early U.S. success for it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe and maybe Battle of the Sexes. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I would have expected the wrong box. Um, it might interest you to, 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 to learn that... Um, the films that just failed to make the top 20. At number 25, Casino Royale. Mm. Mm. Number 24, The Naked Truth, which is mm. a brilliant early sellers film. Um, number 23, if you want to include it, is the Running, Jumping and Standing Still film. Yeah. Yes. Obviously a short. I would, I would but, want to include it, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, number 22, The Mouse That Roared. And number 21, The Optimists of Nine Elms. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I thought The Optimist, Girl in My Soup and The Naked Truth, I was quite surprised not to see in the 20. Yeah, Girl in My Soup was Bolting Brothers again, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, and that was a rare success at that time, wasn't it? Yeah. In that probably would have made, it probably would have made the list if there'd been a Goonpot on it yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, my, my personal top five, in case anyone's interested, um, is Shot in the Dark. Two-Way Stretch, Return of the Pink Panther, After the Fox, and, of course, The Magic Christian. <laughs> uh, the, the the Sellers film, I've gone on record many times and said the, the Sellers film I like the least, I think, is uh, a blemish on his career, is uh, Where Does It Hurt? From, oh, I think, 1972, 73. Um, have you seen that lately, Mark? No, I haven't. I, I think I've only ever watched it about three times. <laughs> I can't, yeah. <laughs> Again, I, I I would say this, but I I always like Sellers' performances in things, but it's a it's a pretty terrible film. Yeah, um, yeah. So ten of ten of the films in the top twenty we've covered already on Goonpod. So there's there's ten others to go, and yeah, Ghost and Noonday Sun, as we see, did not feature. Some um, statistics here of the top twenty films. Who do you think? Which actor? crops up apart from sellers crops up the most in those he's uh, is it going to be john lemessurier right john john lemess is in six of the oh, top 20 david lodge graham stark david lodge is in eight <laughs> graham stark is only in six who is it then oh no 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 david lodge is the most david lodge appears the most oh okay, okay. He, he's the one then you've got Mario Fabrizi in four of the films. Right. Um, when did Mario Fabrizi die? 62? Oh, well, there you are, you see. So oh, he, he, could, he, could have, 
he could have lapsed David Lodge if he'd been around longer. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, now Marianne Stone, the actress Marianne Stone, is in five of them. Um, but I think she made she was in about she's she was never she was always like a a background character really in films. She, I think, she, made more British films than any other actress. Yeah, but she was never a star, was she? She was never like she. She, she was never like, a star you know, in the film. Fourth woman in a row of theater, that sort of thing. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, Herbert Lom is in four of the films, un- unsurprisingly. Right. Yeah. Uh, including the Lady Killers, of course. Yes. Um, uh, Kenneth Griffith is in three of them, and uh, Irene Handel in three of them. And what's the span of the uh, the films in the top twenty? How many are? A- 1960s, how many 1970s? Okay. So 13 from the 60s. Right. Uh, four from the 70s and three from the 50s. Um, nine of them are black and white. And the Panther Clouseau popularity ranking, you've got Shot in the Dark, then Return, then Strikes Again, then The Pink Panther. Revenge failed yeah. to make the list. In fact, yeah. I don't think Revenge even got a vote, a single vote from memory. But- because they just merge into one. <laughs> well, yeah. exactly. There are if you're voting for a Pink Panther, you're going to vote for a better Pink Panther than Revenge. <laughs> True. People get muddled up with the titles. Yeah, they are because it's basically the same title. It's they yeah. could have just called it the Pink Panther film again, couldn't they? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, no, it's funny because you think somebody would you know have some attachment to it. You know that that would have been the first one they saw, and uh, therefore they remember it, so they'd vote for it. But uh, maybe yeah. they think they did. And they voted for the other one instead. Voted for return, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, last thing I'll say, because we're all fans of Roger Lewis here, aren't we? Aren't we? Guys? Very much. <laughs> I asked Roger Lewis what his favourite Sellers films were. And he said, Smallest Show on Earth, Hoffman, and, rather surprisingly, What's New Pussycat? Yeah. Really? Yeah. But, but he said Virginia McKenna and Bill Travers are insipid in the smallest show on earth. Virginia <laughs> McKenna I, is still with us, isn't she? I'm surprised he didn't say the Peter Sellers home movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, is there any sort of closing thoughts any of you have? I think that uh, this gave me, a honestly, a better appreciation of Sellers as acting because as you no doubt know i'm i'm more of a like radio listening to audio sort of person in terms Mm. of how i take everything in so for several of these they were the first time i'd seen them and um yeah that seller is quite an actor yeah (laughs) i mean i guess i would say this because of the work i've been doing but you know sellers is is about the only person i can think of who made a success out of everything he did. So he made a success on stage. He made a success on radio. He was somewhat successful on TV and successful in movies. And I think in a way, in a way it was part of his problem um, because he wasn't focused on one thing. I mean, later on, obviously he was with the, with the movies, but he was just, he was just damn good at everything he did like that. Well, it, hang on though. Brouhaha. <laughs> I mean, oh, it was a success. It just he—he eh. he should never have done that. I mean, that was a—that um, was a, obviously a, a supposed to be a, a straight stage appearance, if you like, in the legitimate theatre. Um, mm. But um, I mean, you know, you read some of the reviews of his variety performances, and it's just amazing. And it's all yeah. forgotten now. Um, 
I can't think of another performer who could do impressions and all that sort of thing um, and do stand up and be successful on movies and, you know, do kind of intellectual kind of stuff in a way, I suppose, but also do knockabout comedy and very broad comedy as well. And it's all that success that made him such a happy person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. That's the sad part, isn't it? He's private. Yeah, it is. It's just, you know, all that talent and, you know, it just crushes him. It's just yeah. really sad. You know, it's just and so it's brilliant. An it's an extension, really, of, of what I was saying before about him being unable to control his talent. I, I just think he wasn't able to. Yeah. And that lack of control spilled into his private life and... and um, he he was unhappy with with everything really. I think ultimately, you know, his own performance, everything. Um, yeah, yeah, just everything. Yeah, it's just the insecurity. It's just he never knew what was the right thing to do. And uh, his first wife said that he, you know, he lacked taste. You know, <laughs> he he just yeah. didn't know which to choose, or he well, choose the wrong thing. And, yeah, it's yeah. a shame he didn't find somebody that he'd really trusted to tell yeah. him. You know, well, that's he, right, and that's, hence the reliance on you know Morris Woodruff and uh, yes. didn't yes. the chauffeur have to um sort of you know give um, uh, Morris Woodruff the uh, the tip off of what you know what the answer should be when Sellers uh, came round asking for for advice on his career. Yes, yeah. I, I listen. I, I know it's very easy to blame people. I blame Peg. Yeah. <laughs> I blame Peg. Well, that you know, because Frank Muir said he was like a big baby Sellers, and you think you know if you've got this. Yeah, and of course, his, the elder brother had died, hadn't he? Peter Sellers, the actual Peter Sellers. And then he comes along and must be absolutely sort of smothered by his mum. And yeah. then you, you know, with all this talent, you become a big star. So again, you are treated, you know, you're just tolerated like a tiny child would be tolerated once again. And uh, it just all adds up to this increasing monstrosity. I think it was a double-edged sword. I think without his mother, he would have just been a kind of pale imitation of his father. Yeah. Um, mm. Mm. So, you know, but I think, you know, she clearly wanted him to be on stage and be a success and everything else. Um, but I think he learned he he learned to be pushy later on. I think you know, and he learned to use his position to get what he wanted, which wasn't necessarily what was good for him. But but um, that's that's so that's what he did. Whereas without yeah. her, I think he would have just been a nobody. Um, he'd yeah. have ended up being Chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very good point. Mm. Very good point, and a, and an excellent point to end on. And and uh, just want to thank you, the three of you, for. As I say, you know, giving up a couple of hours of your day to to talk to me, and um, uh, I just you know like to wish you all a, a happy new year and hope that twenty twenty four treats you well and that uh, uh, you go from success to success in whatever yeah, thank you, way Tyler. you measure that. Thank you, thank you Tyler. Tyler. Same to you. Um, and um, the pod will be taking we're taking a bit of a break uh, after next week's show. We'll be taking a break for. I'm not sure. A couple of months, maybe, um, just to regroup and uh, have a bit of a uh, some downtime, really, because I haven't really had any downtime from the podcast for eighteen months, maybe. <laughs> um, but um, hope to return with some uh, even better episodes uh, in uh, spring 2024. So uh, to everyone listening, as I say, as I said to the the chaps, uh, happy New Year and. Um, uh, we'll meet again. Don't know where, don't know when.
Yes. Next year, we'll be doing the uh, the 20 best films of Harry Seacombe. So uh, <laughs> I look forward to that. You will be. I won't be there. <laughs> Monsieur! Tell them I won't be long.